tonight on Unsolved Mysteries. Dreamy Disappearance, The Luckiest Little Choir in All the World, Hippie Heist, and Smoky Mountains ATV Murders. And I'm your other co-host, Robert, and this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. Do we, have, well, do we have an episode for you? Yes, this is like the antithesis of the previous episode. It's, it's almost as if they scooped up all the exciting bits from, like, last week and gave us a double helping of action this this week. Well, I think it helps that they weren't trying to cram ham-fistedly cram any possible Christmas-related incident <laughs> into an episode, so they focused on quality with this one. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, no, but 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 also, but beyond that, I just think there's... I mean, this was, like, a really, like, action-packed episode. Like, there were shootings galore, exploding buildings. Um, I mean, like, the little you know before credit sequence where they're talking about what's coming up it was just a it was just a barrage of violent images <laughs> it certainly was um so if i remember correctly so we're doing season two episode 13 for anyone who's keeps track or cares about those sort of things yes which certainly isn't me i guess yeah well it's me and i wrote it down uh, okay. so <laughs> the episode opens with a double-breasted stack, uh, and he's in some kind of cathedral, and I have no idea where this is, but it's, but I've been having fun trying to guess, because I like to, like, reveal his locations around LA, but I don't know which well, one this is. Was it a cathedral? It, it looked like a church or something, I don't know. Oh, I'm it trying to remember. It could have been a theater, I don't know. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter, and who cares? Moving on. Uh, so the first segment <laughs> is a missing person segment. And the way that this is introduced um, is very strange, because the, at the beginning of the, the very beginning of the show, they're sort of, they, you know, they do the really quick rundown of what all the segments or the cases are going to be. And they introduce this one as like, was somebody having prophetic dreams, or was it just a wild coincidence? <laughs> And I, and I feel like in them introducing it in this way, you don't at all get prepared for what the segment is actually about. So. <laughs> no, it, this, is, this is extremely misleading. Extremely. Um, so we have in uh, 1980 in Toledo, Ohio, there's a, a 20-year-old young woman named Cindy Anderson. And uh, she's been having these really scary dreams. And all of this is being introduced over some really terrifying music. Um she's and then they like try to recreate 
the visions or dreams she's been having. They do a fairly, like, the reenactment itself does a fairly good job of making you, I mean, you you watch it and you automatically know that you're watching a dream sequence because it just has this hazy look to it. It was very uh, much reminiscent of the dream sequence from Twin Peaks, I thought. It had that vibe to me. It was, like, less surreal, but very <laughs> in the vein of, like, Twin Peaks. I, I don't remember seeing a special agent Dale Cooper uh, anywhere in that dream, but uh, <laughs> backwards um, talking dwarf and Okay, God, well maybe Okay, well maybe it wasn't as good as Twin Peaks or as interesting. But anyway, so Cindy's been having these like scary dreams and they do this other weird reenactment where this is all being told from the sister's point of view. So Cindy's yeah. sister. And so they do a reenactment where uh, Cindy has run into her mother's bedroom or her parents' bedroom and is is the reenactment shows the sister like walking down the hallway and overhearing this so i'm led to believe like the sister was never directly told about these dreams she just she she just put them together through conjecture yeah uh anyway well regardless of whether she put them through together through conjecture or her sister deliberately you know directly told her about this it doesn't change the fact that, like, once this minute of segment is over, you can completely forget about it because it's never brought up yeah, again. Yeah, it doesn't matter at all to anything else that happens. I guess, I guess, you know, if this was, like, if they're trying to pass this off as an unexplained segment, I'd be really pissed off. But since they did truthfully describe it as a missing person segment, I'm more just perplexed as to what the point was of including this well then it takes another wild turn when we start to get more information about cindy's life uh mm -hmm. so we're we're now in 1981 uh cindy goes to work at some kind of law office travel agency something the the name of the the name of the business is literally legal centers. Yeah, um, it's in a strip mall. Anyway, um, so the reenact the reenactor who plays Cindy looks a lot like uh, Jenny Slate. I thought. Do you know who that is? She was on Parks and Rec. Uh, you know, this will probably shock everyone who listens to this podcast, but I actually haven't seen an episode of parks and rec that's okay it's not fucking seinfeld <laughs> that would be uh, shocking but right it's just, okay it's, well, just like, a, it's really... like a nice comedy but anyway and i really like adam scott a lot too like i kind of feel like he's probably the person that in hollywood whose personality is most like mine is that because you guys hang out or well I don't, what are you basing this on well, do you remember when I was over at your place in Sa when you lived in Sacramento and I was showing the, you those um, 
things were uh, those recreated segments of um, opening sequences to 80s television shows. Yeah. 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 And well, you know, the thing is, is like, those were those aired on uh, Cartoon Network. And the, the whole reason they were done was it started because Adam Scott and Mad Men's John Hamm. Mm-hmm. Apparently one night they spent like hours just um, sending each other the opening sequences of various TV shows to watch. <laughs> and I feel like that's like, I mean, that being someone who has had during grad school spent many hours watching like mm-hmm. compilations of mm-hmm. opening sequences, t- title sequences, TV shows. I just felt there was like this kindred spirit aspect to that. Mm. Mm. So you're relating to Adam Scott, not John Hamm, in this situation. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm just, I'm trying to be realistic here. Okay. Well, I, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I think, John Hamm I think, strikes again. I think, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think <sighs> anyway. pretty much anyone who knows me will, if, uh, if given the choice, about, oh, will put right. me in Adam um, Scott. So this, God, this segment is so weird. So then they th- they're throwing, like, a bunch of information at us about Cindy, which may or may not be related to anything at all. So we've already got the dream part, right? Yeah, it's kind of like they shotgunned a lot of different possibilities as to what was going on. Yeah. And just combined them together. Yeah. And, <laughs> well, they do, they do tell us what ha- We get a little white-lettered update at the end, which I won't spoil right now, but... Yeah. Uh, all their guesses are wrong, as it turns out. <laughs> Way wrong. Way wrong. So, uh, so Cindy um, c- comes into work before everybody else, and so they think that's when she did. She disappeared. Uh, she, I, she left her purse. Whatever. It doesn't matter. But when the cops come to investigate what had happened to her, they find that this romance novel that she was reading had been left. Hold on. Okay. Had been left to the page with the only violent scene in the entire book. And that is a quote from the show. Which raised (laughs) a lot of questions for me. Uh, Crystal, if you disappear, should, like, everyone who cares about you, like, look around and try to find what what the last page was of whatever book you were reading for a clue? Yes. If you find any open books in my home or workplace... You should read the entire book and then see what was up with that one page that I left it open to. Because I'm, hmm. I'm not really... Lemon sh- chicken over a uh, <laughs> sauce of... <laughs> um, I'm not really sure how they came to this conclusion it was the only violent scene in the entire book. So what I, I'm imagining and what they kind of reenacted is that the... It's not the cops, it's the, the lawyers she worked for that, that had shown up. Is that they had sat down and read the entire book to determine this um but cindy's gone anyway more information cindy's like the youngest or middle child of like 600 children in this like fundamental fundy christian family oh yeah these these got this like and the the show even refers to them as that like fundamentalists yeah they call them fundamentalists that's i'm not i'm not injecting my judgment that's what they call them no um, and then they're interviewing dad. Oh God. And this is where, this is where I started coming up with some real wild theories, right? 
Uh, I, I'm assuming your wild theory is, is probably in sync with mine. Well, I don't want to get sued, but, um, so, <laughs> I don't know. This guy's probably not even alive anymore anyway, but I don't know his name. But the the dad is talking, uh, he's talking real weird. He's, he said something, this stuck with me and I wrote it down. He said that Cindy was a daughter you'd enjoy. I wrote down the same thing. And... You know, just a beautiful young girl. Yeah. So. Uh... But anyway, so Cindy was. So I was thinking maybe had Cindy had good reason to run away. From uh, yeah, you know that's that's also a possibility. Though it's strange because they mentioned that her like she didn't touch any of the money in her savings account or anything. No, she she left everything intact. So. But. I don't know, like, you know, if, if, if she's anything coming from anything like some of the crazy families I've encountered mm-hmm. uh, in my life, mm-hmm. like, maybe, like, the father actually controls the savings account or something. I, I don't know. Well, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Cindy was, at her, the time of her disappearance, was supposed to go to Bible college in only two weeks. And then Dad says, right before then, she was spending too much time on her makeup. And she was... Yeah. I don't know what that means. She was... Well, like, did you hear the the scorn in his voice when he said that she was, like, becoming a debutante? Oh, yeah. That's what he said. (laughs) A (laughs) debutante? Oh. Oh. Yeah, so in my notes, after that line, I wrote... uh, family part of the problem question mark on my notepad yeah i was definitively thinking she was running away from something but wait there's more so at some time during her when she was working at this law firm uh somebody across there was like a big piece of plywood that was part of a storefront that was being retrofitted or something across the parking lot in the strip mall um Someone, some mysterious stranger, had had spray painted on it this plywood. I love you, Cindy. And signed G W. Signed G W. So Cindy could clearly see this plywood and the spray, this graffiti from where she sat at the law firm. And then somebody else, I guess, probably I don't know the uh, people who own the strip mall, painted over it. And then a couple weeks later, somebody came back and, and spray painted I Love You, Cindy, in even larger letters, also signed by GW. Mm-hmm. Um, so the police investigate, and they, they can't find anybody really associated with any of the stores around there, the law firm that goes by the initials GW, except for the maintenance man. And they eventually, didn't they eventually sort out that it wasn't him? Or they just came to that conclusion but i don't recall what evidence they gave that he wasn't no and they and they fortunately don't give his name either so it's just gw the maintenance man because you know see i when i saw that sign my mind automatically went to gene wilder you think gene wilder wrote that you know uh it's a possibility right 
That's as likely as anything else, I guess. <laughs> Literally as likely as many of the scenarios that you are know, put into this segment. Um, I think Cindy had mentioned one of her crazy dreams about being chased was by Willy Wonka, so that makes sense. Man. Uh, all right, wait, there's more. So then the Toledo police start getting weird calls. And the mystery caller says that Cindy's being held in a basement in a white house um, and that there are two houses side by side owned by the same family. But the family was out of town, but the son was holding Cindy captive. And then Mm. they have a reenactment of like the police trying to get this mysterious stranger to stay on the phone. This is several months after Cindy's disappeared, I guess. Yes. Um, And then that's that's kind of it for the segment. Yeah, you know, I, I, my first instinct was that that had to be like a prank call or something, because if you're gonna call and not even give any useful information, what the hell's the point? Well, uh, well, maybe it was like an early version of swatting, like somebody lost at the video game and they're trying to get the police over <laughs> to some dude's house that had nothing to do with us. Okay, well, that's a possibility. I, I mostly was just sort of cap like, the thing that grabbed my attention was, I think it was on the second phone call, uh, like, when the detective uh, at the desk, you know, realizes who, he, who it is, and he waves to his partner, or, or just one of the other detectives, to, you know, get on the other line. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the other detective, the way he's walking around is really strange. It's like... He, he's moving around like someone who's just gotten up and like their leg has fallen asleep <laughs> i know that's just what i saw well maybe they had to do so many takes that that's what happened you know they're not professional actors robbie they're not going to nail their lines of the things that really happened to them right the first time you know right 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 god so did we cover every possibility they brought up on the show yeah so it was prophetic dreams um dad running away from dad that wasn't really something they brought up on the show but that's what i was thinking for a moment yeah i also inferred that um (laughs) even though it wasn't obviously wasn't something they they were coming out and saying unless they are trying to like subtly imply it um then we had uh, the the mysterious romance guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, then there was yeah. the the uh, violent scene in the romance novel. Violent scene in the romance novel. Uh, and then yeah. the the mystery caller. The mystery caller. So we get an update, and it's it's <laughs> not it's not an update like if a viewer had called into the show and. You know, we don't get that kind of update. We get the really cryptic, like, white letters. Yeah. Um, that's been added in more recently. And so what cops, the cops think happened, and we don't get any more explanation than this, was that Cindy was murdered after overhearing drug, drug traffickers. Yeah. <laughs> like, we don't even get any, like, speculation as to, like, where it was and that she she overheard these drug drug traffickers too nope uh, nothing yeah this was a very strange segment uh i enjoyed it because it went it went all over the place 
Oh yeah, yeah, no, it it definitely didn't get boring at any point. It was this was like the jazz music of segments. It just went everywhere. <laughs> anyway, uh, did you like it? Yeah, I did. Good. I mean, I think I my speculation is maybe maybe that dream thing maybe they were trying to shoehorn in some sort of supernatural something or other. Mm-hmm. Uh, either that or, I don't know, the whole segment just felt like it was like this huge shotgun blast of like, okay, we got to fill up, you know, ten, 12 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's, let's, uh, let's see what we can cobble together. Well, you know, the dream thing seems, considering what police think happened, although we don't even know if they found a body, we don't know. They, this mm-hmm. is just the update that we're getting. But considering what police think happened and that a year before she was murdered, uh, Cindy was having these dreams about being chased and having her life threatened, it seems likely that the dreams were connected to something she may have overheard or maybe she had been threatened at that point. Right. Like, obviously the show completely gets the direction of causality wrong yes she's not having these dreams because at some point she's gonna uh suffer some sort of horrible fate she's she's afraid she's gonna suffer a horrible fate so she's therefore starting to have these dreams right yeah listeners if you can't tell we're we're a little low energy today a little tired I felt like I was pretty high energy when we were originally planning on recording this. Yeah. Well, I think all the technical difficulties kind of beat it out of us, didn't didn't they? Yeah. Um. Do we? All right. But now there's an exploding church. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> so do you want to talk about that? Oh boy, do I ever! This, this, you know. I, I can't recall. I don't think we've really had a, a segment so far where a building blows up. And from so many different angles. <laughs> from so many different angles. I, I suppose I'll take this opportunity to just go ahead and mention that I did look up the background on this segment because I was curious oh, okay. about whether, you know, they actually blew up a building mm-hmm. to to, uh, to accomplish this. Because uh, I sort of had the theory that they did. They mm-hmm. went all in. Because there was all those angles and repeated shots of the church blowing up mm-hmm. that, like, if they, they probably, you know, this is like they spent the money on it. They want to get their money's worth. Um, so, that you know, th- this isn't just, like, stock footage. And, yeah, they actually, they, you know, obviously it wasn't the actual church in question since that had already blown up. It was, like, a building that was going to be demolished. So they actually got to blow it up. And apparently... Oh, wow. Yeah. And apparently, like, they weren't planning on it being that big of an explosion. <laughs> it is a big explosion. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, you know, the, the, the like, it was, I, from my understanding, it was more like, you know, all the windows were going to blow out and the mm-hmm. doorway and, and stuff. And, you know, maybe, like, the roof would collapse in. They were not planning on it, like blowing up but i guess apparently that's what 96 sticks of dynamite will do it is not a very big building yeah uh yeah should we talk about the segment or (laughs) who cares about the segment we got an explosion to talk about no this is this is one of the few like big budget 
uh, pyro effects the show will ever offer us, I think. Right, right. Oh, absolutely. Because um, usually, like, when there's building destruction and whatnot, if at all possible from my memory, the show just sort of uses stock footage of the actual, like, you know, if someone's camcordered, recorded it. But, yeah, no, this this was this was a full, you know, explosion dumb thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, the, the background on the actual segment is it takes us all the way back to 1950, uh, to Nebraska, of course. Um, and we get the, back, uh, the background on the West End Baptist Church Choir. Mm-hmm. They're... Uh, the choir director is a woman named, what was it, Martha Paul? Yeah, it's Martha. Yeah. Yeah, Martha. But they all called and, her mother. Right, because she was an extremely stern person. You know, you, you had to be at the church by 725 for practice. Mm-hmm. And this actually put, planted a seed in my head that, when we get to the end of the segment, I will give my theory on <laughs> what happened here. Sure. But uh, basically, uh, after our introduction to them, what the segment consists of is we get the background on this particular night, which I believe was like the beginning of March. And the pastor showed up to the church early in the day to put on the burner or heater or the, the furnace. 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 They, had fur- yeah. they had furnaces back then. <laughs> the, the furnace, yeah. Um, and then what we get is a collection of explanations why each member of the choir didn't um, didn't attend. Mm-hmm. Uh, or rather was going to be late that night. Mm-hmm. And so, like, for the pastor, uh, he's gonna, he was going to end up being late because... His daughter stained her dress, and his wife had to iron a new one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we get several other explanations. Someone was working on their geometry homework. Yeah, um, somebody was listening to an old-timey radio show. Yeah, e- e- Edgar Ber- Bergman? I don't know. He's, he's the guy who, uh, I actually, I looked him up because I, I wanted to be up, updated on the... It's the guy who... Uh, did Charlie McCarthy, the uh, ventriloquist. Yep, that's a reference I'm sure everyone knows. (laughs) Crystal, (laughs) ventriloquism is the new hip thing. Is that, is Charlie McCarthy the puppet or the ventriloquist dummy that's on the cover of that Goosebumps book? Oh, He has like the freckles and the gap teeth and... You know, I think I think the the similarity in appearance is probably pretty strong. Um, I, I never read any of the Goosebumps books. I was too afraid. But <laughs> okay, I know what you're getting for Christmas. Um... <laughs> no, but yeah, we get explanations along those lines. Um, yeah, they're just know. just all these. It's it's just like a series of little events that were conspiring to make people late. Yeah. And like it, it, it culminates with uh, the you know the last individual they're they're talking about. She actually lived across from the church. When she finally gets up and goes out out to go to the church, 
she witnesses it explode. And this is by far the most amazing part of the whole episode because we get one angle after another. In fact, I think when I was reading about this segment, they had five cameras. I counted we about five. Explosions? Yeah. 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 So we see the church explode. And then other people like are getting ready to go to the church. And then another explosion. And then kaboom and boom and boom. And it is so glorious. The church I mean, is vaporized. Like this is not a joke. Yeah. This this is not like just. But yeah. This, this building. Like the amount of rubble they show afterwards just doesn't seem right. No. Because <laughs> there would be. <laughs> Just a smoking pit in the ground for how big that yeah. explosion was. Yeah. yeah. And so what happens is the various members of the choir arrive at the church. And at first they're they're pretty frantic because they're, you know. They're, they think everybody else was in the church. Church and they died and the explosion. And they eventually like sort out. They figure out that everyone, uh, everyone's alive. Yeah. And they were and, just all late. Yeah. And, you know, naturally like, and understandably so, they kind of feel like there's some sort of divine hand in this which Mm -hmm. i think i probably would feel the same way too if i was in a similar sort of of situation Mm -hmm. and you know they i think they see say a brief prayer yeah and then Um, they start singing near the the still flaming debris (laughs) now i don't i don't know about you but if there's a fire i'm not gonna like fucking sing at it i'm probably gonna call the fire department (laughs) <laughs> right well because i don't know yeah. i don't think like singing at fires puts them out well t- to be fair i mean it's not like there <laughs> there's much to be salvaged from <laughs> well there could still be like a gas line or something i don't know call the fire oh. department you morons <laughs> well yeah so you know so this was this was a neat segment and um the only my only my only complaint or it's not a complaint, but my criticism of what we're presented mm-hmm. is I don't, I mean, it is, it is quite extraordinary that none of them went to the, were at the church when it exploded, mm-hmm. but I don't feel like it was truly miraculous. Like now, if each of them had been having a dream about an exploding church the night before, you know, mm-hmm. like an opposite situation of our first segment, that like to me would be amazing but to me this you know hearing the different reasons that they had like like this really seemed to be more of a segment about time management because they they were all like hitched up by stuff that they didn't have to most of them didn't have to be hitched up by mm-hmm. you know they just they didn't they didn't prepare right and they ended up being late plus i also kind of have this vague feeling that like from the description of the choir beforehand that maybe they didn't i had this feeling that they didn't most of the people there didn't actually want to be a member of the choir (laughs) like i've been involved in enough activities and organizations and groups where like someone tries to put together something and no one really wants to do it. But, you know, they start circulating that, like, sign-up sheet around. And when it gets to you and it's still empty, you kind of end up feeling this horrible bit of guilt. And mm-hmm. you end up signing it. Um, and so, I, I don't know. Well, that's, I mean, that's my theory. consider your other options on a 
you know, Wednesday evening in 1950 in Beatrice, Nebraska. You probably don't uh, even own a television. Because that one person was listening to the radio show. Uh, yeah, well, I, I, would, I would still rather be listening to a radio show than, like, having to endure, like, a stern task mask master yeah and and also like if you remember the woman or she was like then girl i guess who lived directly across the street from the church her reason for being late is she was just like i was just lazy and it was cold out (laughs) and she lives across the street from the church and she was like i'm not feeling it so she was taking her sweet time getting over there so i think you might be totally right i think probably like people were more late to choir practice than they're remembering right you're telling right. me no one was ever late before this one time in march 1950 well, cle- well clearly clearly it was an issue if this martha woman had to like start implementing rules for attendance right yeah yeah or she i love thought she did anyway but look right. look who was saved all of the late people right and as a late it- person Myself, I will take this as vindication. Yeah, you're a late person. I'm a late person. Yeah, I'm I've a late never, person. I've never really perceived that of you. Well, maybe, may, <laughs> thank you. Maybe, yeah. Well, maybe I'm not like maybe, a like epically late person, but I'm typically not really on time for things. Well, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just obscured by the fact that the first time we tried to record an episode for this pod, I I sl- overslept and like. <laughs> yeah. Woke up and after half an hour when I was supposed to sign on, uh, I, I plug my now dead phone in and get like a series of text messages from you, like, dude, where are you? <laughs> okay, um, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna I'm gonna be watching TV. Uh, let me let me know when yeah. you're on. <laughs> I think I think it's like for social stuff, I tend to be pretty on time. Weirdly, like for dinner reservations and things like that. Okay. But for things like work, uh you know things that matter and that you're judged upon i'm like (laughs) not on time oh i love this segment mostly because we got an exploding building yeah i give it five out of five exploded churches kaboom i agree i i feel like they spent their entire budget for the year on blowing up that church (laughs) you know it does seem like we've seen some pretty minimalistic segments prior to this mm-hmm. doesn't it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and maybe they're saving up their money for that those like 90 plus sticks of dynamite and yeah. i think there was like 10 there was like three 10 gallon things of gasoline or oh something. my god that's overkill yeah. why did they do that <laughs> i don't know did they not have they... anybody in charge of like pyrotechnics i guess not or if... I'm, I'm not, I'm, what i'm picturing is robert stack like overseeing it and being like no more <laughs> <laughs> more um, then they're like they're, they're putting another you know a couple of sticks in and they look back at him and he just raises his hand and you know moves his fingers a little bit like mm. uh, just, just stick after stick of stacked dynamite you know and that's why he didn't get to be in charge of the explosions anymore because he blew the entire budget <laughs> You know, speaking of archival footage, we get a whole bunch in the next segment. Oh man, do we ever? We get it's it's a real 
Ken Burns Vietnam situation and this next segment, which is a wanted segment. Uh, So September 23rd, 1970, Brighton, Massachusetts, uh, a a street gang. I don't know if they had a name. They pull off a heist and they get $26,000 out of a bank. And uh, a a patrolman was shot. He died. Um, And this is how we're introduced to a woman named Catherine or Kathy Powers. Mm -hmm. She's a young woman who at the time was attending Brandeis University. Wasn't she a sociology major? Yeah, I mean, that feels right. Because it's Brandeis. Anyway, moving on. Radical students are everywhere in America this time. Um, I wrote down politics of protest. Anyway, it just gets real wild. It's just like students protesting. And then there's, so there's archival footage of like real things that happen. During the Vietnam, yeah. This is during the Vietnam War, idiots. Uh, I don't know why I'm so hostile about it. But it's 1970. <laughs> you should know that. That's where there's student protests. Um, and so there's there's a lot of archival footage of student protests and and of you know sort of the police pushback on that and um, you know we everybody there's like all the reenactors are just kind of dressed like hippies and stuff and and, mm-hmm. and the picture that unsolved mysteries I believe is is trying to paint and I'm also taking it in the context of the time that unsolved mysteries was made you know okay. we're in Reagan's America now. You know, yes. and we're looking, we're looking back in 1970 and, you know, we're looking that the bums lost their revolution. You know what <laughs> I'm saying? The bums have lost, Mr. Lebowski. <laughs> they have lost their revolution. So it's, it's very, it's kind of done in this very like sneering way, I thought. Um, and they, I was sitting there thinking about like, how are you going to, how are you going to talk about student protests and not talk about Kent State and went, went on there? Because it's done in this very like looking down the nose of like all these you know uppity college students and their opinions and you know they wanted to challenge authority and it's like well shit really hit the fan when police the national guard in ohio opened fire on unarmed student protesters that was kind of a bfd um but they did address it and so part of the reenactment is showing kathy and sort of her radical hippie friends watching this happen on television and they're like that's it we're robbing a bank. You know, Kath, and Kathy's to like her, the person who betrays her, like has this really intense look in her eyes too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, they've had it and their solution, they're done protesting. Now they're going to rob banks. Yeah. I, I don't um, get it either. But anyway, I, I <laughs> uh, you know, like obviously, um, you know, I, I concur about like, you know, what, what a huge deal Kent state was. I mean, to actually, yeah. you know, just have students gunned down and, you know, obviously, I mean, the thing was at the time, I mean, the importance of the free speech movement, because at, at the time, like often you weren't even a, you, you, you know, you didn't, you were, so, okay. You have opinions, uh, you know, have fun with that because you don't get to express them at your college was, was sort of a thing. Mm. Um, but, um, 
Yeah, I, I probably shouldn't go on because then we'll, we'll we'll probably just end up getting in a political conversation. And well, we I no... I take exception with unsolved mysteries for kind of making it a political conversation. Their t- their tone is very sneering at these protests, you know. Well, okay, yeah, I mean, like, uh, gosh, um, should I? I I, I think felt you should. Like, I think you should. Yeah, I. I just I felt like they were more sneering about like how this group was moving beyond protests into mm-hmm. violence mm-hmm. because like when they interviewed the daughter of the uh, police officer who this group will eventually kill mm-hmm. um, you know she's like you know you yes absolutely you gotta protest and blah 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 but you know vi- violence is not the, the, the solution and like the the one police chief they talked to like i i kind of felt like i mean he was like he 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 said he kind of hinted that he was kind of actually sort of sympathetic to some of their uh grievances but he also disapproved of them engaging in violence and i i I don't know I, i guess like i guess i kind of maybe you know you and i come may come from different like political outlooks and so maybe that colored how we looked at the segment a little <laughs> well maybe, yeah i mean but to that point i completely agree like they went too far and i'm not even sure why they did what they did other than to steal money under the cape of we're protesting the man well it was kind of strange because it seemed like they suggested that like their group was a mismatch of like students who you know were just really obsessed with the the political uh uh ideals and then like just people who are like outright professional criminals mm-hmm. yeah i'm not i'm not sure well but, well Kathy powers gets mixed up in this whole scene and the next yeah. thing you know Jimi hendrix is playing they're rolling up semi-automatic weapons and shotguns and rugs you know what, Did what's... you say rugs? Yeah, there was a scene where they were like rolling up guns and rugs. Oh yes, yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I wrote. Well, I wrote down the cool cop sympathizes with someone her penis. So. <laughs> um, and then I don't remember if he was the cool cop or not. But there's a the the cop who eventually gets shot during this heist. He had a partner. Yes. Named. Uh, so it's so it's Walter who ends up getting killed, and uh, his daughter who was interviewed. But Walter had a partner named Frank Callahan. <laughs> that uh, is like, that is like you know a name that I would automatically expect of a detective yeah. in a TV show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Frank Callahan is the most Boston <laughs> that anyone could ever dream of being. Um, he sounds like a real life Peter Griffin. Was was he the one like? Because I wrote down in my notes because I heard someone said "act of war," and but they said it with an accent, and it just reminded me like, because uh, you know they don't they don't say "act of war," they say "act of war," mm-hmm. and it just reminded me once I had a professor in one class who you know they they had some sort of northeastern accent, and they once tried to say the um um use the uh, uh phrase uh the law the law of war 
but it's, when they tried to say it, it just sounded like they said the wall of wall. Blah blah blah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> blah blah blah. Yeah. Well, we're, I'm not here to make fun of Boston accents, but I'm just saying yeah, just... if you have a Boston accent, I'm sure it's not better than Frank Callahan's. No, 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 man. He had he had a he was solid Boston. He was the he was peak Boston. Like yeah. nothing could ever happen. No person born since could ever out Boston Frank Callahan. Okay. Yes. So stop trying. Um, like, like if he got shot, he would bleed out like Boston Celtics uh, logos. He is so Boston. <laughs> sure. All right. <laughs> okay. That's how Boston is. Yeah. Go ahead and tweet at us how Boston you are. No doubt. Uh. So anyway, there. So the so the Hendrix goes away. We're talking to Frank Callahan. Hendrix's music comes back. It's all along the Watchtower, in case you're curious what song they decided to overplay in this segment. Um, so, the during the heist, there's a shootout. Walter gets killed. Um, I guess Kathy Powers was driving one of the getaway cars. She doesn't actually shoot anybody, for the record. Um, but she is involved in this very heinous crime, and she uh, she is, she gets away. But the rest of the people in the street gang um, get rounded up eventually. Uh, the story goes that one of the main criminal guy, after they kill a dude, and are now basically all suspected felons, each person that isn't him gets like I think five hundred dollars out of twenty six thousand. <laughs> For helping out, I guess. I don't know, helping the cause. Um, yeah. And and what happens is, so so some of these guys get rounded up for uh, you know murder and manslaughter and you know put away for life. Well, Kathy gets away um, with her five hundred dollars, and she's on the run for nineteen years. At some point during that being on the run, she she opens a, a bank account. And I, when I saw that happen, I wondered whether you wondered if she it was, was the same five hundred dollars. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can you imagine being on the run for nineteen years over five hundred dollars? Oh, yeah. I, I I'm sure she. Uh, I'm sure it was a, a, a. I'm sure she thought about that quite often. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think by year three she was like that was bullshit? <laughs> um so would you like an update would you like an update for the story did unsolved mysteries solve it or is it another white text update i don't remember uh but after 23 years of being on the run and i assume probably after this segment aired and she knew she knew her goose was cooked Mm -hmm. uh kathy um Let's see if she has to do some math. So it would be in 1993 she turned herself in. So yeah. it would have been a, a while after the segment aired. Yeah, so to, to her credit, she uh, she came forward. I think that's very noble. Uh, after 23 years? Yeah, I, I'm sort of perplexed to the timing. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe she figured she wanted to spend her better her, her, um, her youth free. Yeah, and then, maybe. you know... Th- yeah, it's like you know, like if if you had if you had to spend like, how many years was she in prison? Like well, she was in prison for twelve years. 
12 years. Yeah. Would you would you rather be spending like age 25 to 37 in prison or age like 50 to 62? Well, <laughs> I don't I don't know. I mean, I'm I only got $500 out of it, so <laughs> I don't really know. Yeah. Um, yeah, so she gets so she's since been released obviously. So she was 93 so she would have been released around 2005 or 2006 mm-hmm. and that is the story this was a very impressive segment y- did you like it i didn't really oh wow okay well what imp- I, I mean what impressed on you the production values i mean how i wonder how much money they had to spend to get access to all along the watchtower as performed by Jimi hendrix um I don't know. It's probably under fair use or something. So, I mean, pr- way less than they spent blowing up that church, for sure. Uh, that's a that's a good point. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I just, you know, I, it was, uh, this was basically, like, if you really like that segment in for- that part of Forrest Gump, when uh, he's visiting Jenny and she's mixed up with all, like, revolutionaries, and you just wanted that to be, you know, instead of a five-minute scene in a movie, instead be like a twelve-minute segment on a TV show. <laughs> yeah. This, this but is, also, this... you wanted that the segment to also star Robin Wright, but it wasn't. Precisely. <laughs> <laughs> this this would be the uh, piece of um, production for you. So what what did you not like about it? <laughs> I, well, m- mostly just just the like Reagan's America, like oh the boom's lost. Bleh. You know, I don't know, you guys. Come on. On the other hand, like don't rob banks and shoot cops in the face. That's not cool either. <laughs> don't do that. There's like a happy medium where you can protest and not shoot cops in the face. I think, or rob a bank. Or is there? I don't know. Um, Am I being too moderate? Is that is that a thing? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I kind of feel like uh, this, this is a conversation that if we engaged in all, like, 25 minutes of it, uh-huh. it would start out with, like, the two of us, um, uh, you know, you, you'd, you'd be coming from, like, this sort of tie-dyed uh, end, and I would start out start out sounding like richard nixon or something mm-hmm. and, and then by the end of the conversation we reach some sort of bizarre like well it's this and that and sort of like this and that <laughs> oh i thought you were going to say by the end of the 25 minute conversation we would have convinced ourselves to go rob a bank we i was recounting my trip back from kansas uh-huh and you mentioned how I had uh, tweeted about, like, the girls saying, you know, my mom doesn't give a fuck. She just, like, she'll fart on someone and just walk away. Yeah. Like, you, you said that, uh-huh. and it wasn't until after we were done recording, I, I realized I should have said, like, yeah, basically everyone on that bus felt like they'd got, gotten farted on by the end of that trip. <laughs> well, if I remember it. Oh, oh no, no, it's okay. Do you have? Uh, do you want to go back to any other episodes and like throw in some punchlines you've thought of? Gosh, the they're, they're, <laughs> yeah, I feel like my best material for this show comes after we record. 
it's kind of it's kind of like when someone like insults you and then you think of a good comeback like four years later <laughs> the jerk store called they're running out of you <laughs> uh you know but maybe we should move on anyway yeah um <laughs> Okay, so you know we so we move on to our last segment, which is was it wanted or unexplained unexplained death? Yeah, Um, and basic it's it's kind of it felt like a really short segment. Basically, we got the story of three guys: Kenneth Griffith, Earl Schmock, Schmock, Richard Mason. And these oh, I just guys. wrote down a bunch of good old boys. That's what I wrote down. Oh, I want. I, well, the thing was, is like at least two of them were veterans, so I wanted to like okay. sh- which, give them a which hat one? tip. Which one? I feel like Earl. Maybe was he one? Oh shit! I don't, <laughs> I don't yeah. remember. Way to honor the vets, Robbie. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, this is this is in the outskirts of Chattanooga, Tennessee. This is Signal with... Signal Mountain. Yeah, 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 very good. Well, I had a, I had a uh, ex boyfriend who, um, when he he uh, first came to America, he lived on Sing- Signal Mountain. I'm gonna ask you about that after we're done recording. Okay, but no more details now. It's a yeah. mystery. <laughs> yeah. So this takes us to 1988, July 10th, 1988. Uh, these three gents uh, went out ATV drawing. <laughs> driving on three-wheeled all-terrain vehicles can i just say this looks super fun like i would totally want to do this it looks great have you ever been on an atv uh not maybe when i was little and someone else was driving but not really when i worked for nevada state parks i got to ride around on an atv quite a bit yeah was it so fun Uh, it was no it was great oh uh but Wait, no, that's uh, not true. I drove an ATV for the first time last summer. <laughs> this is this is like uh, our conversation where I wasn't sure whether I'd ever been on a boat. <laughs> I, well, no, I mean, it was recently. Yeah, yeah. And I was on a farm. Please continue. Uh, last I mean, summer? It is, yeah, it was last summer. I was on a farm. It was the 4th of July. And someone let me drive an ATV around. I didn't do a very good job of it, but it was exhilarating. Wow. Okay. So, so sorry, everyone. I guess I have done that thing that I said I'd never <laughs> done, and I did it recently too. Oops. Yeah. At least my at least mine had the excuse of it was like thirty years in the past. So I, <laughs> I yeah. But um, yeah. So they go ATVing around the outskirts of Chattanooga, and they expect. Oh, real, to hey, be... wait, real quick. Um, I just yeah. want to. I just want to plug the Chattanooga Aquarium. Go ahead. Well, I just heard it's a real good one. Oh, I thought you were going to tell me this amazing story about a, like seeing all the, the, the this exotic fish and stuff. No, I just worked for the Chattanooga Tourism Board. Also, I, I want to. I also want to add about Chattanooga. I think they were one of the first um, towns in the entire country to, as a municipality, install high-speed internet cables, so they wouldn't have to like bow down to like Comcast or whatever. And they could charge lower rates and and attract tech businesses there. Fascinating. So please call the Better Business Bureau of Commerce 
Rotary Club of Chattanooga if you're interested in business opportunities. <laughs> While you're in the town of Chattanooga, you may want to check out several of the historic Civil War sites near the town, as Chattanooga was home to not only the Siege of Chattanooga, but to the south, the Battle of Chickamauga. Two very important battles in the oh, American wow. Civil War. I didn't, I didn't yeah. know that. Wow. So this, so, is, this has been Chattanooga chat. <laughs> or chat chat, as they call Ch- it. Man, I, we'll have to add Chattanooga onto our list of places that we're going to do for our roving tour of America. Oh, I, I would love to visit. Chattanooga sounds fucking cool. Plus they have ATVs there. But please, shall we continue with the second? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, these three gents go out riding. They expect to be gone for only a few hours, and the way they film it in the segment's pretty interesting because there's like this fog or a haze. So when they're driving off, they sort of disappear into it, and we are, we are, we learn that they never return home. And what happens during the process of trying to find them is that. First, uh, an individual finds three ATVs covered in blood at a dump, quote-unquote, which I guess if you live in the Signal Hill, uh, Signal Mountain area, uh, a dump is basically just throwing your trash off the side of a hill. That was my understanding as well. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and there seems to be multiple of these places. Um, So that alerts the authorities that there could potentially be some foul play situation going on. A local resident approaches them and tells them that he heard shots somewhere near a place called quote unquote, the gate. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know about you, but it sounded like really, uh, <laughs> uh, when they, when they say the gate, like it sounds really menacing. Yes. Sorry. I, uh, yes. Or I guess it doesn't sound menacing at all. No, it sounds anyway. menacing. Sorry, I got distracted for a second. <laughs> um, I so, was listening, though. Yeah, so the authorities go searching in the vicinity of the gate, which I believe, like, it has, like, a no trespassing sign or something. There's s- something nearby that along those lines that makes sense once they put together the conjecture as to what happened. Yeah, I think it was one of those signs that says, we don't call 911 with a picture of a gun. Yes, precisely. I mean, that's, that's at at the very least, that's the spirit of what the sign is saying, if not necessarily the exact letters. Yeah. Um, And so in the process (coughs) of searching around here, they find some pools of blood on the ground. They figure out they're at a a crime scene. Well, hey, hold on a second. I want to talk about these super duper tracker cops. They got up at Signal Mountain. Okay. Do you remember? Talk. Do you remember how they said they found the blood? Um, I remember like one person found a couple of drops on like a stick, and then somehow someone came across some more blood. Uh, tell me. Well, about I mean, what... to to make this extra impressive, because they are looking in a pretty wide area in a forest. So, yeah. it's, so it's, you know, it's there's a lot of forest clutter. There's dead leaves and plant matter and stuff like that. So there, there wasn't just a, like a pool of blood there. And one of the, the cops, one of the ones that they interviewed, said that um, he had a type of fly 
that eats... Oh, the green fly. The green fly land on his hand, and he knew that from from previous, like, tracking and hunting experience, that those flies eat um, decaying flesh. And so, in very near where the flies were, they were able to find not only blood, but brain matter. Oh, I didn't catch the brain matter part. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I can see where that. Yeah, I, I, I obviously that would stick in your head. Um, I was just, I was like super impressed by like all the skills that this cop is like showing up with. He's like, you, you might think I'm some like redneck cop, but I have tracker skills. And I, yeah. can we get, can we get that movie? Can we get country cop being hunted in the woods? But he's got like all these moves. Sort uh, sort of like John Rambo in reverse. Yeah, something like that. Maybe yeah. I'm just maybe I'm just talking about Rambo. <laughs> oh man, man, did did you listen to the friendly friendly fire about First Blood? Uh yeah, that was a couple months ago, right? I think I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so awesome. Yeah. Friendly Fire, another podcast that's much better than ours. Um, anyway, so yeah, they they Friendly out Fire the... is also a fart fetish. Please continue. Really? Yeah, I was looking, was looking up stuff for that friendly fire <laughs> podcast, and I found a bunch of stuff I didn't want to see. Oh man. Okay. So for the fifth time, moving on. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there's um, they they figure out they're at a crime scene, and it's not too long afterwards that some bodies are actually found, but not at this scene, but rather several miles away. And so what they they eventually sort of piece together what happened is that these three guys had a run in at the site where they found the blood with in the reenactment. It's depicted as some sort of faceless, um, scary guy in the sort of outfit you would expect of a person that's living up in the hills Mm -hmm. who doesn't like it when people come ATVing up through his property. Yeah, he doesn't call 911. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and, man, they they depict a, a pretty brutal, like, series of murders on mm-hmm. this guy's part. Mm-hmm. He just, like, he just guns these guys down, like, two of them pretty quickly, and the third is trying to escape, and he just, like, shoots that guy dead. Yeah, yeah, he he hits them and the, what they have a pretty clear picture of what happened, and mm-hmm. the the last guy got the first shot went through his hand. He started to escape and then he got shot in the back. I think. Yeah, I, yeah. I believe that is the case. Yes. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's just it's just murder in cold blood. There's right. no there's nothing to suggest there was any motive for this other than maybe these guys were in the wrong place. Wrong place. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting too, because obviously some people might want to go to sort of a uh, deliverance type thing, like, oh, these are just city boys who got, you know, uh, wandered in the place they didn't belong. But what's, you know, these guys were locals, and yeah. you know, obviously outdoorsy guys, mm-hmm. and they just they ran into someone who was way beyond that. Yeah. Um, but what they what they managed to piece together is that the individual or individuals who perform these uh, murders, like, after they did the deed, they tried to distribute the evidence in such a way to try to 
throw people off from that particular crime scene because mm-hmm. they dumped the bodies far away. And I guess their hope was like after whoever after they find the ATVs, they'd find the bodies down, um, uh, you know, several miles away, and then just not even come searching that way. Which okay, I, I guess that you know that's that's maybe works fine as a theory. But you still had that guy who heard the gunshots, so that they probably would have ended up finding that scene anyway. Yeah, and I think there was an account of a woman who was directing traffic yes. away from, I think, where the ATVs had been dumped. Right, right, exactly. When In the process of dumping uh, either the ATVs or, you know, one, one of the other pieces of evidence, uh, some woman could, co-conspirator, like, had her car parked diagonally across the road and was just telling individuals who were coming along that the road was closed because of some, you know, horrendous accident or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so... We're sort of left with, um, I believe, even in the segment itself, they suggest that there's people who probably know who did it, but might be afraid to come forward because they're afraid this individual will might shotgun death them to death too. Well, understandably, because this person is a lunatic. Right, um, and I guess like the the segment concludes, we get an update. And I believe it's just another white text update, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically, we learned that someone came forward after the segment aired, and they ended up arresting and uh, sending to prison a guy named Frank Castile, mm-hmm. which that stuck stuck out to me because if you just uh, rearrange a couple of letters in the last name, it spells out Frank Castle, which is the name of the Punisher. Yeah. <laughs> the, the the Punisher being the comic character who just like guns down people by by the dozen. Do you think that's a coincidence? I Well, yeah, until intellectually, yes, but it's fun to sort of speculate about I don't know what the hell I'd be speculating about. I just think it's a neat coincidence. <laughs> So, Crystal, did you enjoy, enjoy uh, seeing three innocent ATVers horribly gunned down? I didn't. Yeah. Uh, not even a little bit. I, you know what? I really did think it was an interesting, um, mm-hmm. you know, so, so many times either by accident or just by purposeful editing, I don't think Unsolved, and I know I've been critical in the past, Unsolved Mysteries doesn't, kind of shows... Co- cops not doing a very good job i think yeah and either it's because they're not doing a very good job or it, things get edited out for whatever reason um but i i really thought this was uh an interesting look at law enforcement and especially n- not in a big city um mm-hmm. but they were diligent and you know they were good cops and they looked at all the evidence and they figured out what, what happened that and... feels like such a strange thing in this show so far, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> it really does, because I think so many things end up on Unsolved Mysteries because of shoddy police work to begin with. Yeah. And um, this was like basically, by the time the segment, by the time Unsolved Mysteries comes to this case, the police everything have everything worked out, um, except who did it. So they know how it happened, they, you know, they put all the evidence together, um, they suspect it's just a random act of violence, which apparently it was. 
So, mm-hmm. you know, I want to I want to say word up Signal Mountain Police 1988. You guys were doing it. Uh the other thing yeah. is, this episode, every single segment had an update. Yeah, we didn't get left. We haven't any... had, like, updates. We've had, like, well, except for we... the, what was the last one? Where the Santa baby guy, his daughter exploded? That was oh, awful. Oh, God, yeah. He, like, like yeah, like, he found out what happened to her, and it was a horrible fate. Oh, yeah, that's right. We did have updates in the last episode. They were just awful depressing yes. but 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 the thing was is when we weren't having updates it was like someone was trying to find their long loss whatever whoever mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we just don't hear anything about it so no. that person never got to find them um you know the the thing that <laughs> i i guess it shouldn't be surprising the thing that stuck out to you was you know uh you're with the methodology involved with the police work and da 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 da, da and all that jazz and the thing that stuck out to me about this segment was that there was a, a, a there was there was a suck creek road <laughs> <laughs> yeah why do people keep coming back to chattanooga because downtown's designed to give you a great day out right in the middle of the great outdoors so come be our guest and visit Chattanooga, where you'll find water flows through the center of town and all around. Chattanooga, a great city by nature. Well, oh. well, I enjoyed this episode a lot. Yeah, it was, a, lot, it was it was good. I feel a lot like of that. things happened. Things happened exactly. It was the exact opposite of the last uh, last week's episode. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to share how much you enjoyed this episode of either Unsolved Mysteries or Rump, you can visit us on Twitter at ReenactedPod, or you can send us an email at ReenactedPod at gmail.com, or visit our Facebook for uh, Reenacted and Unsolved Mysteries podcasts. If you enjoy Unsolved Mysteries, it's available on Amazon Prime or other places presumably and uh, visit the official unsolved mysteries website they have a lot of cool stuff that you can check out are you done plugging unsolved mysteries yeah i i i am okay. i can I, I, can I plug chat the chattanooga knights of knights of columbus business bureau one more time <laughs> go ahead i i i mean it, i I, I would love, like, if we plug Chattanooga enough, maybe we can get, like, I don't know, some comps on some hotel rooms or something. Um, Chattanooga, it's not what you think it is. <laughs> That's actually probably a perfect travel slogan. Chattanooga, it's landlocked, but we have a good aquarium. <laughs> Chattanooga. Tens of thousands of people died a horrible death near us during the American Civil War. Uh, Chattanooga. Good, good Wi-Fi. Hey, maybe we should, maybe we should stop. Yeah, yeah. I don't mean just this stupid bit, but like probably the entire podcast. Like this should probably, we should call it quits. Okay. I I mean forever. I'm quitting the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. For every mystery, someone.
someone, somewhere. Those 